Welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast with me, Melissa K. Norris, where we help families raise, preserve, and cook their own food from scratch using old-fashioned skill sets and knowledge for a natural and self-sufficient home. This is episode number 120, and we are diving into not only grinding your own flour at home, but beyond, because having a home mill is something that every home should consider, but especially homesteaders. And specifically on today's episode, we are going to be talking about the mock mill, because it does a lot more than just grinding flour, but even grinding your own flour at home as you will find out as we dive into this episode, has huge implications for our health. I've been grinding my own flour at home for over five years, and I'll be sharing a lot of that in today's interview, and we have a special guest. But I learned today a lot of things about the grinding your own flour at home that I did not know before, and specifically was even more health benefits than I knew existed because within modern homesteading and using our natural foods, our goal is to get the most nutritional value that we can from the foods that we are putting into our bodies. So organic and non-GMO, of course, and being pesticide-free are all really big on a homesteader's mind, as well as keeping our foods as close as we can to their whole form, meaning that they're not being overly processed and having the goods from them stripped out. But when it comes to our flour, a lot of us don't realize that what we're getting at the store, even though we're buying flour and we think of that as a base ingredient, it's not really what it was intended to be in its natural form. And you can bypass all of that by milling it at home. But there's so much more that you can do at home than just make your own flour. So for those of you who are my gluten-free friends, who like to use different types of grains, who want to do vegetable powders, who want to be doing their spices, a home mill does all of that because it's really important that we have tools that do more than just one function for us, right? We want our tools to work as hard as we do. I am so excited for today's episode. We have a special guest with us today, and we're going to be talking about one of my favorite subjects, especially when it comes to self-sufficiency and health as a true pioneer girl, because I got to say, this is one of those things that I feel the most probably like Ma Ingalls or the pioneers of old, is milling your own flour, but there is so much to milling your own flour that I don't think people really realize. So I'm really excited to dive into this today with Paul, who is from Mock Mill. So welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast, Paul. Thanks, Melissa. It's really great to be here. Yeah, I am super, super excited. So I'm going to give a little bit of backstory here. I've been grinding my own flour at home for my goodness, um, five or six years now since I got my first mill and have been grinding flour at home. And Paul and I have a mutual friend who is actually a grower of einkorn. And you guys have heard Jade on the podcast before. And so Jade contacted me and he said, hey, my wife has this new mill. She's madly in love with it. We would love for you to try it out and see what you think about it because it's actually coming to the U.S. market. And honestly, I'm like, you know, I've already got a mill and I'm one of those people that I'm trying really hard not to have a hundred different gadgets in my kitchen, in my home to just really pare down to the 
the necessities and the things that I use all the time. And I was kind of hem and hot. I'm like, I don't really need, I don't really need another grain bill. You know, mine, mine's working just fine. But he's like, I, you really, I think you're really going to be impressed with it. And I said, okay, go ahead and send it to me. Um, so this is, uh, this podcast episode is sponsored by Mock Mill. And I said, go ahead and send it to me and I'll just, I'll give it a shot. I'll see what I think about it. And so I got it kind of expecting, well, a flour mill is a flour mill, right? It grinds up your flour and it spits it out for you. But I was so impressed when I got the mill and I used it. I love that everything is all together, that there's just one thing. I don't have to hook a whole bunch of things together. And the ability to adjust the grind that that baby has, I could not believe how fine I could get it. And there's so much play that I can just dial it in for the exact consistency that I want. And it's a lot quieter than the other mills that I have used. So I have to say, I was highly, highly impressed and really excited that I went ahead and told Jade to send it because it is now, it's my new mill. My other mill, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give it away to somebody because I am really impressed with the quality of the mock mill. So I just have to tell you that, <laughs> that I, I wasn't sure that I wanted another mill, but now that I have it, I'm like, oh my goodness, it really is an amazing product. So you guys did a great job. Well, it's really great to hear that. And, and uh, quite, quite frankly, we're, um, you know, we're bolstered every day by messages like this. People tell us it's a life-changing thing. I had a man from India call me today. He said, you can't believe uh, how fantastic this thing is. Yeah, I was, I was really impressed. So let's talk about, when you think grinding your own flour at home, it kind of sounds cool, right? You know, it sounds like, a, you know, kind of for me, especially coming at it from, you know, modern homesteading and loving the old fashioned things at home and grinding your own flour. But really grinding your own flour at home is, has big implications for your health and just the variety of things that you can do within your cooking at home. So for those who are kind of more new to the idea of grinding your flour at home, what, what is the benefit that you see the most of grinding your flour at home? and using fresh ground flour? Well, the thing about a kernel of, of grain, if you just take it in your hand and look at it, it's a, it's a little marvel of nature. It's a marvel of nature. There's a life inside there. There's a life in there that will stay viable for years, decades, maybe even centuries. That's how well nature has thought this thing out and packed it. It's got... Uh, that little life in there, and it's teeny, 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 tiny as a percentage of the whole grain. Um, it's got this great big food pack in there for it so that when, it, when, the, when the conditions um, uh, are created in which it ought to germinate, that life should be fulfilled, become a plant, there's the initial food that that plant needs to put its roots out and stuff like that, start finding stuff. That's the, you know, that's the, the, the biggest part of it. But it's wrapped up in this intricate, totally mysterious um, packaging that is what we call the brand, which is a multi-layered um, interweaving of tens of thousands of discrete phytochemicals, each which has a role in preserving that life over those years, decades, and, uh, and, and even centuries. Um, so that's a marvel. And the, the interesting thing is that all those phytochemicals, as they work together in perfect harmony, as described by nature, are good for us when we eat them. And, and so our whole civilization is, is based on our grinding those things up and eating them. And that's a fact. 
But the other fact is the moment you open up that package, that really intricate, marvelous package of nature, the goodness that it represents for us is headed downhill. And that's a fact you can't stop. And the other thing is that if you disintegrate it, if you take parts out selectively, keep this, put that over here, separate this, or reduce this, add something here, you disrupt the perfect natural harmony of that food. So the big, sorry, I'll stop for a second. No, 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 that's great. Because that was one of the things when I first started my real diving into health journey and looking at our food as every single package that you see on the store shelf, even if it's organic and, you know, whole wheat and whole grinds and everything, when you, when you see that bag and it says the ingredients listed, and of course, if you're looking at things like cereal and stuff, it all says enriched right? You see enriched with, and they have the list of vitamins that they're enriching things back with. And that's what I discovered because when you buy flour from the store, no matter what it is, they've had to remove so much of it to make it shelf stable, but they've removed the, the parts that are beneficial for us, the, the vitamins and everything. And so they have to enrich it back with vitamins so that we still have nutrition in there. But because it's not the original nutrition that's in there, right? It's been put back into it. Then our bodies don't absorb that or use that as well as what you get when it's all left in there as God created it in its natural form where we've not had to add things back to it. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's analog to, um, to organic farming where we all understand that we can make plants grow if we only uh, 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 fertilize with NPK and, and forget the rest and don't pay attention to what we plant and how, whether we rotate. But but, but the fact is that when we do that, we get soil that's devoid of anything but NPK. And, and that's why I hope uh, one of the big motivations there for homesteading, which I think is a fabulous movement, um, is there because people realize that they want to um, grow food in such a way that the soil can sustain uh, that growing indefinitely. Well, these, this, this enrichment process is exactly the same thing. There are three or four nutrients that the government says have to be put back into flour when you, um, uh, when, uh, when you strip it of, of, uh, of its key natural nutrients. But that's three or four. And yet there are those tens of thousands I was talking about a little earlier, they're there for us. And none of us will, will never know exactly what role they play. But the one thing we can be certain of is that they're good for us. So when you, when you mill your own flour, and above all, if you say, and most people who look at mock mill flour experts say, well, we don't even have to sift this. You say, I'm going to use all of this. Then you're accepting that uh, package that nature is giving you verbatim and you're taking all of his goodness at once. And that is working through your whole organism, the organism of your family as, as, uh, as uh, they feed themselves with it. And it goes right down to taking good care of your, of your uh, gut bacteria and all the other things that we're learning are terribly important. Yeah, I agree. The health, the health implications alone are huge. And then also, though, because health is important, but taste is also important. In fact, I always, I always joke and say, well, I joke, but it's totally true. So at my house, I'm kind of the one that's pushing more of the let's get, you know, let's get towards healthier or swapping things out for healthier alternatives. And my family, especially my son and my husband are kind of like, okay, well, we're game as long as it tastes as good or better than what you're switching us from. And so it has to taste as good in my house in order for them to really get on board 
and actually eat it because it doesn't really do me a lot of good if I'm making this healthy alternative if they're actually not going to be consuming it, right? So let's talk about the flavor of fresh flour and the difference between what you're used to getting at the store versus when you're grinding it right there at home on your table and then using that in your, your cooking. And you can get a full transcript of the show and all of the show notes with links at melissaknorris.com slash podcast. And this is episode number 120. Yeah. Well, you know, to do that, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lucky I can refer to an expert in the field. There's a uh, there's a, a baking author who's very well known, highly respected, and has specialized himself in exactly that whole topic of flavor. His name is Michael Calanti. He's written a book, How to Bake Bread, and now How to Bake More Bread. And he's come up with these flavor wheels and sort of as wine tasters talk about the different flavor aspects of wine. He's saying that's how we ought to view bread, you know, whether it's got more of a a lactic kind of cheesy sour taste to it or whether it's got more of a fruity kind of um, you know uh, fruit flavor to it so he really gets into the flavor and the olfactory aspects of of baked goods and um, I, I approached him some time ago and said you know your message is absolutely spot on but I really love to see you um, take a look at our topic which is fresh milling and see what kind of effect it had so it took a while. He had to get his book out, but then he said, please, um, uh, I want to get into this. So we met and agreed to, and he took a mill and he wrote back to me and he goes, Paul, it's a whole new day. I just, I cannot believe the difference in flavors, the richness, the, that I have baking with this flour, making myself, <laughs> said, I'm gobsmacked, you know? So, um, and, and, and that's very, very new. And of course, um, experts like that need time to make their experience and then put it together and structure it into, into um, a form with which they can distribute these new, this new discoveries. But what I think we'll see coming here in the next few years are more and more um, uh, publications and, and books about this topic. Wow. For 130 years, we've been eating something that's robbed of all the flavor elements. And that's that, that, you know, when you take that wheat germ out, that life out of the, uh, out of the, out of the grain, because that's, what's going to spoil after you've ground stuff up. Right. Uh, and when you take away that, um, that, uh, uh, brand, because in the modern milling processes, it gives you big pieces that kind of spoil the way the, uh, the, the, the flour breaks up, you're taking all the flavor out of it. Uh, and that white food, that's left over the food for that plant. It's plant food, and it doesn't have any flavor for human beings in it. You know, and uh, and and this is what this expert is saying. So the the fact is that it's it's for almost everybody who bakes with fresh flour for the first time. It's an aha moment. And and later on, maybe when we get to some other topics, I'll talk about that. But um, it it's just very 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 simple. Uh, when you grind something up chemical processes are put in place that are essentially the um, deconstruction of the molecules that give us aromas. And so oxidation is taking place. And as that takes place, those flavor carriers are just technically disappearing. That's happening from the moment you mill the stuff up. And that's why when you do it yourself and you, and you, you know, and you, you, you you take your grain, it becomes flour, it goes into your bowl, you hydrate it right there. Like it, the, the grain is flour for seconds, you know, and all of a sudden it's dough. 
And that's just a huge, a huge flavor adventure when that when you when you work that way. We have a very special offer today that's for a limited time only to get the mock mill, which I am an affiliate for, and I truly love. I think it is a superior grain mill to any that I've had in my home or any that I have tried previously. And for that special offer for a limited time, you guys, is free shipping within the United States. But not only that. There is a whole bunch of bonuses, and I've got some of my own special bonuses that I want to share with you. When you purchase your grain mill, which you can go to melissaknorris.com slash mock mill to check out all of the details and everything that's included, but you actually get two guides for a mock mill. So these are digital guides. The first one is the farm directly and milling guide that it contains easy links to different websites and Amazon with listings of small family farmers who will gratefully ship their grains directly to your door. And the second is the mock mill recipe guide filled with time-saving recipes from every corner of the online universe. And yours truly has a recipe in there. And on top of that, I am offering my own special bonus. So when you use my link and you purchase your mock mill grain mill, I am throwing in access to my mini e-course, which is Baking with Fresh Ground Flour, and my ebook, Fresh Ground Flour Baking Guide in Favorite Recipes, which is valued at over $60. So you get those in exclusive bonuses in addition to the bonuses that Mockmill is doing. So to get access to those, you are going to go to melissaknorris.com slash mockmill, order your grain mill, and then go to melissaknorris.com slash mockmill. Thank you. And you will have all your instructions to get access to the course and all of those additional bonuses that I mentioned. Because I want to make sure that you're set up to jump ahead. You don't have that learning curve of using your flesh flour so you can dive right in to milling and baking with those fresh flour and turning out amazing and awesome foods for you and your family. Yeah, it, and, and I try to just grind my flour as I eat it. So as I'm getting ready to bake, I don't really grind up extra and store it. And because... I believe if I remember reading a statistic right, and I can't remember, it's been a while since I read it, where it was from, or, but basically it said within 24 hours of grinding the flour that it is lost because of oxidation, excuse me, oxidization, as you said, that it's lost a really large percentage, like 80 or 90% um, of the vitamins and everything has started to oxidize and has been lost in like 24 or 48 hours from when you grind it. Is that accurate or do you, have you heard that? You know, before? I'm really careful about that because I've never studied cereal science and there are people who have spent okay. their lives on this. So as soon as I state a number, somebody's going to contradict me and he's going to, you know, he's going to be right or she's going to know better. And, uh, but, but, so I kind of try to stay with the basic principle of fact and, and everyone will confer, will, will confirm that you say the moment you grind something up, it's on its way down in terms of goodness, in terms of nutritive value, and in terms of flavor. Um, and for instance, we have a discussion, people will say, oh, well, I've read that flour has to be aged, uh, you know, otherwise it won't bake right. And when I go to, so what have I done? I've gone to the serial scientists who were published, who have 35 years experience and all this. And I say, well, what do I say to people? And they say, this, where does this come from? Why is this done? And you know what they, the, the, the answer I get, Melissa, is to say, well, that point of view um, comes from a desire to 
prioritize consistency, meaning when you bake with this flour, it's going to give you the same bread every day. Mm. You make that your priority. Well, then you want to age the flour because you want to kill it basically down to a level <laughs> at which every, all the rest of the flour is going to be dead. Um, and, and you don't get any variations in consistency. Um, if you bake the bread right with, the, with flour you've milled just in time right away, and we talk about just-in-time milling, you said there you're prioritizing flavor and you're prioritizing nutrition. And you're saying, eh, consistency, if my, you know, if my corn muffins are a little bit different today than they were yesterday, who cares? They still taste good and they got maximum nutrition. I love and that. So, so that's really the, the, the answer I'd give there is that um, I don't want to get into specifics and say X percent and so forth. I'm just saying fresher is better. I believe that. And I think any honest cereal scientist will tell you that. I completely agree, which actually leads beautifully into my next point, because I have to say when I first started baking with fresh, fresh ground flour, um, there's some definite pitfalls. <laughs> there's some things you need to know about altering your recipes. So I know just what I've learned just from my own experience, because fresh ground flour acts different, just like you said, than all-purpose flour. So you're taking your regular recipes, which I think you should, right? We've got those family favorites that we want to still be using. But with the fresh ground flour, it really absorbs moisture different than the regular flour or flour that you're used to getting from the store. And so I really had to learn, just like you said, to go from how the dough looked and how it felt. And I did do some moisture uh, with the water, adding a little bit less or increasing the flour a little bit. And I kind of played with those ratios till I got pretty much a little a formula for myself when I was adjusting recipes, like, okay, if I'm using, you know, the spelt or the einkorn or the hard white wheat or whatever it was that I was using on how to do that. Um, but I had to really go by the feel of the flour first and not by exactly what the recipe said, because it, it definitely does act different um, in the recipes, especially when you're talking about things like dough, like more so like, you know, bread or pie crust or that type of thing. Cakes and muffins were pretty, those are pretty forgiving, but I would really say when it comes to your breads or things that you're rolling out dough-wise, that there's definitely a bit of a learning curve. Would you agree? Well, in part, but that's just because of who I am. Uh, you know, I, this, the job I have is, is, is a job that um, makes me so happy because I get to go out and reach out to the absolute top names uh, in this whole field. So, you know, I'm, uh, I get immediate um, responses on emails from people like Peter Reinhardt or Josie Baker or Dan Barber, or I'm doing a little name dropping here, but these are big name people. And why will they respond is because they believe that this whole topic is really important. Um, but as I'm, as I'm, I'm trying to exchange notes with these people who have lived their lives in baking and there's, you know, and, and I've tried to get into it by doing my own baking, because I believe that if you're going to tell a story, you better live that story as well. Um, and so I've been baking for about a year and a half, baking bread. Um, and when I talk to these people and this kind of topic comes up, I say, well, you know, problem is I, I've never baked bread except with flour I milled myself. And, and, and I've never sifted anything that I've milled and I've never used commercial yeast. So I really can't answer the question. I just know what happens when I bake bread. And the funny thing is that um, only recently, only last week, my last bake before leaving home in Germany, did I have a failure where I said, 
this bread fail, you know, inside it's pudding. And of course, what I had done was somebody had given me some malted barley that I thought was really cool. And I added about 5% of that. And that kind of puts your, there's so much enzyme in malted uh, grains that it uh, apparently it puts your, uh, the whole dough process on turbocharge. And so what I had was some pudding that wouldn't bake up. In the end, I ended up using it as a pancake batter. <laughs> it was great. But um, I, I actually think that you can exaggerate the, um, the particular nature of using fresh flour. Um, I find it really easy to use. Um, it's the bread that I make uh, is, is loved by everybody. I tend to make a pretty earthy, uh, earthy bread. If you, if you use whole grains, the bread that you get is very brown or, you can, or it can be even darker than that. Mm-hmm. I use a lot of rye. Um, and, and all I'll say is that um, bread baking is an adventure. Um, you, you start out with some basic recipes um, and maybe you adjust a little bit or maybe you don't. It's different every time. You have good bakes and bakes which, about which you feel less well, but that's part of the adventure that I really enjoy. And the feeling that I can do better at this, I can get better, I can learn, I can try different things. You know, I, I never bake the same bread twice. I'm always trying some new ingredients. What happens if I put a little millet in? What happens if I roast some teff up and mill that into it? That's incredible. You know, what happens if I, um, uh, if, if I use my leftover breadcrumbs and mill that up into a breadcrumb flour and add that? That causes the dough to absorb more water, but then it makes the bread, the bread uh, moister and gives it a kind of a roastier taste. So all of this stuff is, is, is my personal experience, which makes it difficult for me to answer your question. Oh, yeah, I, I completely agree whenever you are baking, though, that you definitely, I always say recipes are a guideline. Yeah. <laughs> the recipes are a guideline. They've got the basis there. But, yeah, you, you really do learn to go. You, and, I, and I know when you're starting out brand new, if you're really just starting out to baking bread and to cooking things from scratch, that can kind of feel frustrating because you're like, well, I don't know what it's supposed to feel like yet when it's right. But you do get it with practice and we're going to have some tips. So if that's you, that's fair. We're going to have some, some tips and some guys and some things to definitely help you down that path much faster. So you can reach that part. But yeah, there you, you get to a point where you know what that dough is supposed to feel like or Mm -hmm. supposed to look like, and then you put it in. And that's kind of a beauty when you actually reach that point you're like, okay, this is awesome. And then it, it really is. It's kind of a, self-perpetuating cycle you get excited and you're like okay well now I want to try this well now I want to do this um and so you just keep going down and down and trying different things and learning more and more which, yeah. is, which is really exciting well I and I, I would just to wrap this uh, this up I'd would like to offer one little anecdote I'm I'm I'm, I'm I feel like a lucky guy I'm visiting um uh here in in Houston Texas visiting my uh, my mother um and this morning, uh, I, I took some grains that I brought along from visiting a fantastic place up in uh, near Philadelphia uh, day before yesterday, which is uh, Castle Valley Mill, if anybody ever has a chance to look that up. And they have some great grains, and so they gave me some to bring home. And I, and I have fresh corn and, uh, and, and some of their uh, wheat. And so I proposed to my, to my sisters that we make the family's traditional cornbread um, that we ate every Friday when we were growing up. I've come from a big family. Um, and all we did was to replace one for one the white flour that is my mom's recipe with 100% freshly milled uh, wheat and the corn with 100% freshly milled corn, the cornmeal, one for one. And everything else 
was left as it was before. And, uh, and afterwards we said, well, you know, what do we think? And everybody said, oh, it definitely tastes, has more taste and more flavor. The, the, uh, the cornbread's a little darker in color. It's a little kind of mustardy, kind of caramel colored versus that really screaming yellow color that you often get from cornbread. Mm -hmm. um, but texture, absolutely fine. So that was just one-to-one. -one. And that's what we recommend that people do when they, they, they start out fresh milling. Just take it one for one and see what happens. It's going to be edible. It's going to be good. And then uh, look at how you may like to adjust it. Great. Now, we've been talking a lot about flour and wheat, but I do have listeners who are gluten-free or who are gluten sensitive and so they're moving away from using you know your regular wheat so much and which brings me to the point that I want to talk about because a home mill we typically think of grinding flour with it which is one of its purposes but it can really do a lot more specifically this mill we were talking a little bit right before we started recording and you were mentioning some things that I haven't even done yet I didn't even think about doing so let's talk a little bit about how much versatility that you have on grinding things at home. You're not just regulated to flour, though that's beautiful and there's so many options that we've got. So I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about what you were sharing with me earlier on the other things that you can use the mill for and should be using it for. Yeah, I mean, we tend, to, we tend to, to call this a grain mill and I think that's a bit of a mistake and uh, that we'll keep thinking about and working on. What I think we, we should say is that we've got here is a stone food mill. That's it. And just to think about this, you will, I'll tell you that this will do a great job of milling anything that's not principally oily or principally moist. So think about that. Um, what's oily and what's moist? Well, flax seeds, sesame seeds, um, um, uh, poppy seeds, um, that kind of stuff is, is oily. And, and what happens if you try to mill that is that a, an oily film forms on the stones and, and then there's no friction. Um, uh, so they can't, they can't mill, you know, uh, so it just stops and you get, you get a little bit of gunk and then nothing more happens. Uh, that's just the way, that's what happens if you try to mill something that's oily. And by similar, uh, something that's, uh, that's um, moist, it's got high water content in it. Um, it'll also form a film on your mill, which is not the end of the world. You just um, clean it out. And sometimes you can clean it out by just milling something dry and it just cleans everything out. Uh, so that's not a problem, but when you're thinking about what can I mill, just ask yourself, is it principally oily or is it principally moist? And if not, you can probably mill it. So you, you go from grains, any kind of grains. And then as you mentioned, what's really important, all those gluten-free, what I call grain substitutes. So that's kind of putting them down and that's not very nice, but, um, a grain by definition, um, has gluten in it so the other stuff that doesn't all of the all of your millets for instance which are wonderful foods and there are big movements going on in the united states about bringing millet back in as a food it's not birdseed it's a wonderful food the greatest thing in the world is first cereal for your baby if you fresh give freshly milled organically grown millet to your baby you know that's so much better than anything that dr gerber has to offer <laughs> Um, Agreed. But anyway, but anyway, so um, the the list is very, very, very long that we we're able to offer to people of stuff we've tested, and very often they come and ask, well, what about this? And you can say right off the hand, well, of course. Um, so it goes through for basically grains, pulses, pulses which are any kind of beans or peas, and spices, and um, 
and anything sort of in between. So we have users who dehydrate their own vegetables like, uh, well, above all root, root type vegetables like um, sweet potatoes. You can take sweet potatoes and dehydrate them into sort of dry chips and drop them in the mill and they make a sweet potato flour, which as a bread addition is wonderful. That's just one example. Um, more classically, if you're doing your kitchen, you're cooking at home and that's the beauty of the mock meal, it's just standing there and it's ready at attention. You can take your whole spices that you're gonna use for tonight's cooking, toss them into the mill, out it comes. Um, toss in a little bit of rice behind it that chases it, cleans it out. So nothing tastes like the spices when you mill it afterwards. And you've got this nice spiced rice flour that you toss into your food as you go about seasoning your food. It's amazing um, what that does for the flavor of your cooking. Um, but then you go into uh, all of the gluten-free stuff. So we already mentioned millet, but you have amaranth. Uh, under the millet, you have teff, you have sorghum. Sorghum makes some really, really nice flour. Sorghum pancakes, delicious. and when you start to look at the nutritional profile of these foods and the ease of cultivating them your own, on your own, um, it gets really interesting. Um, then you then all of the the stuff you can buy amaranth, um, uh, buckwheat, whether hulled or still in its hulls. I understand when it's still in its hulls, you uh, well you have to then sift it because some of these hull pieces will come through the mill really big and they don't digest well at all, and they don't do they're certainly not welcome in a textural way in your food, but you use just a strainer and strain those things out and you get the smaller bits of the hull that have uh, bioavailable nutrients in them that also give a lot of flavor to buckwheat flour. So you, uh, you, the, the list just goes on and on as to all the things you can, you can mill. Um, I will say that um, when you mill some of these things, the flavor story really picks up meaning. Uh, and particularly with spices. So if you compare um, uh, a, a cup of freshly milled peppercorns, peppercorns black pepper that's just come out of the mill with any kind of pre-milled um, pepper that you have, the difference is night and day. I had the experience yesterday in a, one of the finest restaurants here in Houston and the cook just, his eyes were just like silver dollars in size uh, when, he, when he smelled the difference between what he was using every day pre-milled and what we just fresh stone milled uh, in his kitchen. I, I love that. And so, see, and I didn't even think of using it for spices. I Because, you know, it's my grain mill. So that's what I typically do. So, and I'm really glad because I was going to ask you um, about if that flavor, you know, if you use it to grind spices and then you go to do your flour, if they were going to cross-contaminate. But you just put a little bit of rice through there, obviously dried. Um, and that cleans it. It really cleans the, the stone mill stones out enough that you don't catch that flavor then when you go and grill then yeah and and, I, and since i've come to demo this in every restaurant i go to and these um, it's for chefs and they're trained you know they're taste they're trained to taste stuff that's their job right? and uh and what i generally do is i'll put that handful of rice in the mill afterwards and as it's come out you know you can see black specks let's say from the pepper as it comes out and then as it comes out slowly becomes snow white and then i say here take a pinch of the rice please from the top of the little pile that's formed now and tell me whether you can taste any pepper and they just look at me and they say nope can't oh, awesome <laughs> and, yeah that's okay yeah now i want to try it. so now i gotta ask you this one and only because yesterday i was baking actually and i don't generally buy um, powdered sugar i just have regular uh sugar in the raw that still has the molasses in it it's caramely in color and, and i love the 
flavor it gives and it's less processed so it is still sugar so I had I was making a maple glaze actually to go over some pumpkin muffins and I needed powdered sugar I needed it to be finer so I've got a little I've done it with an immersion blender or my regular blender to you know grind up those into a finer sugar could you put that through the mock mill to get really fine confectioner sugar well I'm glad you asked that because somebody came up and asked this recently and yeah, we tried it out and there was joy and then somebody said, but wait a minute. And then we had to try it again. And there was, a, um, what, what, what do you say when, when joy comes down to reality, uh, another <laughs> word in German. And, and, and so what we haven't mentioned here is that mock mill means a couple of different things. Um, the first the mock mill name was invented for a, uh, a, uh, a stone milling attachment that goes on a, on a stand mixer, like a, like a Kenmore KitchenAid mm -hmm. uh, stand mixer. And that's a beautiful little tool that we have that's perfect for smaller households um, and people that have space problems and people already own a KitchenAid and, and everything else um, and are, are not making big amounts of flour at once. And so um, somebody asked the question, we said, well, let's go out and try it. So, you know, I just got some, uh, just a scoop of, of, of um, organically grown cane sugar kind of light brown stuff, uh, nice and dry and crystalline. So the, the kind of the wet compact stuff um, didn't work at all. But the dry crystalline stuff, you know, went through there and gave me some beautiful confectioner sugar. You know, wow, joy, right? And then somebody says, yeah, but try it on the big mock mill now. And I said, oh, that'll really work well, you know? That's what I put it in. Yes. Quite the opposite. Did it get <laughs> the, too hot? Yeah. Well, what happens is that it, the, 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 the standalone mock mills are direct driven by an electric motor, whereas the, um, the, the uh, KitchenAid attachment is, is driven by a much slower moving hub, um, uh, hub mechanism, a transmission that actually slows down the um, whatever's being turned because you don't want a, a meat grinder or a pasta attachment turning as fast as, a, uh, as that electric motor in the KitchenAid turns. Um, so that, that stone milling attachment turns very slowly um, and, and therefore it did a good job on the sugar. But when you get up to the fast, uh, to the 1300 RPM of the, of the mock mill, which also quite frankly gives it its, its higher throughput, um, it basically just forms caramel on the, uh, you know, a hard, a hard caramel glaze on the, on the stone. So it took me five or 10 minutes to get that off afterwards after I tried that. Um, okay, well, so, I'm so I'm afraid if you want to do that, uh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, for, for homesteaders, I'm really going to recommend the standalone mills because um, they, they're just that much better if you're doing a lot of baking and cooking. Um, but uh, if you want to do some special things, the little mock mill is wonderful if you've always got a, already got a KitchenAid um, for some special chores. And there's a, one of the two things, and this is one of them, uh, that it actually does better than its big brother. Okay, that, I'm so glad I asked because I was really going to try it, and I'm very relieved that I just saved myself 10 to 15 minutes of cleaning. <laughs> you did, you did. You'll be glad. <laughs> very good, but... But, you know, along those lines, just because you're talking about that, you can try different things. Somebody called me and said, well, can you do mustard seeds? Mm. I said, I don't know. I'll have to try that. I look up mustard seeds is 31% fat. I go, oh, I'm not so sure it's going to work, but then I recalled having some experience in the last two years I thought was not so bad. So I went ahead and tried and I was able to set the mill at a point where it gave me a continuous flow of, of, uh, of a, a fairly coarse, but you know, a nice mustard mass kind of oily mass that was coming out. And that was good. And I said, well, this is actually quite good because people like to make their own mustard. Yeah. 
And of course, I had to open up the mill afterwards, and it was just really uh, a big mess, uh, you know, because this um, this isn't already stuff, and so uh, it was forming it. But it seems like the hard shell and the mustard sort of did the scraping off of the stone as it moved, so that it could keep milling uh, the next stone, the next uh, seeds that were arriving. Well, it took me about five minutes with a popsicle stick or something like that to dig all that stuff out of the the, the milling chamber and out of the grooves in the in the stones, and and to put that down. Um, I kept that for making mustard as part of the product that had come out. I uh, closed the mill up, and then I got some kamut, which is nice hard wheat. And I started milling that at a really coarse setting. And I just took like a, I don't know, half a cup of kamut, and I put it through there at a coarse setting, and I, it was coming out in big chunks, carrying out mustard bits with it. And so I kept putting it back in over and over again <laughs> into the mill about five or six times until I felt comfortable that most of the mustard had been cleaned out. And then I... Then I put it through on fine and then chased it with, I don't know, I guess it was making bread, about a kilo of, of, um, of uh, kamut. And what I got at the end was this really wonderful 100% whole wheat kamut. And kamut, kamut makes really nice bread. Bread, it was a perfect sandwich loaf with just a hint of mustard taste in it. So just perfect for savory sandwiches. This is the kind of adventure that you go on um, when, you, when you have a tool like this. And it's so funny because when you were saying that, I'm like, oh, yeah, mustard with rye? Or that's what exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, yeah, you're, the flour, if you were worried about cross-contamination, whatever you put through there next, just make sure that it's going to pair well with it. And then you're getting a really added benefit there. Yeah. The important thing is to use some kind of dry grain um, when you're finished and the, and the and to mill that coarsely because those what happens is those coarse bits, as they go through, there are a lot of forces at work in a mill like that. And they're like little bullets that are that are shooting back and forth against the the stone's walls um and and knocking all the bits of of uh, of food that may be hanging around there out and that so it's very very simple when you want to if you'd like to use uh, make a seeded loaf and you'd like and you know that your flax seeds or your sesame seeds are going to be more flavorful and more bioavailable if they're ground mm-hmm. well just mix them in for your recipe with half of the grain that you're going to use mill them together, you'll get a nice kind of lipid flour out of that, and then mill the other half of the grains immediately after that on a fine setting, your mill's gonna be whistle clean. And so indeed, even though the mill's not made and there are tools that are made for milling oily seeds, and if you wanna have oily seed paste, well then you need to get a tool like that. Um, but for this purpose, it works really, really well uh, if you just uh, just think about it and, and, and use the, the, your imagination together with a tool. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And I like that you said that you can still do it, just mix it in with the grains that you're going to put in that aren't as oily and that are more dry. And then you can still do it together to get those benefits into the flour uh, without the big mess and having to take it apart and have it gum up and, and having yeah. to clean it. So there's, that's a really great yeah. little workaround there. Yeah, and by the way, that taking apart and cleaning out is really quite literally, it's a five-minute job. It's a very, very, very quick job. The neat thing about the, these tools, the way Wolfgang has conceived them, is they need no tools. It's a, you know, it's a very, very, very easy, uh, easy thing to do. And there are mills in which you can't even look at the inside of the, the milling chamber. It has to be sent off to a factory um, if, if for any reason inspection is desired. Um, you don't know what's going on in there. Whereas here, you can very, very quickly take a look. Is my mill nice and clean inside? Great. You know, um, uh, so that, that's a, a small advantage and it's important as, we're, as far as we're concerned.
No, it is because I, I have other mills <laughs> where you cannot see inside the unit at all. And so if you do make a mistake or whatever, you, you have to send it off. Yeah, you can't look at it at all. So I think, I, I actually think that that's a really big advantage to have the ability to go in and clean it if you need to or look, you know, just to be able to look and, and see, okay, well, this is what's really going on. Um, I think that's great. Yeah. So let Let's talk about how to get the mock mill because the, the mock mill is relatively new, right? At least well, in the United States. Well, no, it's, it's actually a brand new product and it has a story behind it. You know, uh, it's, it's people said at the beginning, mock mill, that's a funny name. You know, does it mean fake mill or something? Well, <laughs> no, it's a creation of Wolfgang Mock, who is my partner and uh, our company's called Wolfgang Mock. Uh, incorporated in the United States, and Wolfgang is really, really well known in the in the home milling circles because he, he he's he's an absolute pioneer uh, in that area, especially in Europe. Um, he he's a psychologist who was working building autism centers uh, in his in his early uh, late twenties, early thirties, back in uh, back at the beginning of the eighties. Um, who got the bug when somebody gave him a loaf of bread that, uh, for his birthday that, that he made himself from freshly milled flour. And Wolfgang said, well, you know, that's a silly gift. And then he bit into it and he said, this is amazing. I've never <laughs> had bread before in my life. And, and he couldn't find a mill that he liked in the end. And so he started, he decided to design a mill and people liked it so well, they asked him to build one for them too. And, and so slowly over the years, he became less of a psychologist and more of a, uh, more of a mill uh, builder. And so there are really well-known and highly respected stone mills um, under three or four brands out there that are really Wolfgang Mock. You know, and they even got his name in them. You know, uh, if you see, if you see uh, W.O. as part of the name of a mill or M.O. as part of the name of a mill, he designed that mill. Um, and the designs haven't changed since he's left those companies, even though he's left, you know, one of them, I don't know, 15, 10, 20 years ago. Uh, that's how, that's how important his, his, his touches in mill design. And the, the mock mill is Wolfgang's um, swan song. Uh, he, he, he wants to get everybody milling and that has been his drive for all these decades. And he is, doesn't want to give up. And one of the problems has always been that the mills um, were too expensive, you know, costing four or $500 or they were, um, uh, in reality, if you looked at the business, the production wasn't scalable. You wouldn't be able to provide everybody a mill if everybody wanted one. Um, and, and so he's always been working at a way to do this, but do it with his highly environmentally conscious viewpoint. So in other words, let's not make anything out of plastics, at least not out of petroleum plastics. And, um, so he came up with a concept to use bioplastics, um, to make a, a molded casing for the type of mill he'd been building for all these decades, um, improving that the inside design, you know, the basic, the milling design mm -hmm. in any way he could think of, and then encasing it in something that would be highly economical, be environmentally friendly and, and be scalable in production. And that's what the Mach Mill 100 and Mach Mill 200 are. They're the realization of this 40 year old um, drive of his to, to make the mill that everybody can afford. Kind of think of the Model T Ford where all of a sudden, you know, Henry Ford said, if I want people driving cars, I'm going to have to build cars that the people who make, you know, they're affordable by the people who make the cars. 
And this is what the mock mill should be. So uh, it is brand new, um, but it's a brand new realization of a, uh, of a very, very old tradition of a, of a man whose, who's, uh, I think, values are very, very much in line with those of most of the people who are listening today. Yeah, well, like I said, I've, I've used, um, I own a different mill, and I had used one even prior to that before I got my first mill when I was first thinking about wanting to grind my own flour and researching it. And I had a friend who had a mill and said, well, hey, why don't you borrow mine? Make sure you actually like the fresh ground flour before you invest in one. Because home mills can be an investment. You know, they're, they're typically not, you know, a $50 item that you're going to go and get. At least I've never seen one that um, is going to last to do a good job for that price. And so I've used two different home mills before. And, and then, like I said, I really didn't think that I needed another one. And then I got the mock mill and the, de the design and the functionality of it are so much improved. It really is a big difference in its ease of use, but more importantly on how well it actually grinds the flour. And that is what, when I saw how much, like I said, when I could adjust the grind, when you have that much control, and it's not just a little bit, I mean, you can really go coarse to really, really fine. And, you know, like 50 points in between, I was, I was, I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay. I'm, I'm excited about this. And I've been even grinding more flour lately so I could play with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mentioned at the beginning of our chat that, that, that we're kind of getting used to getting really good feedback, although we, we wouldn't like to be, um, you know, let it go to our heads because we have a huge, huge job to do that has a lot to do with getting people excited about, about doing their own milling. But uh, I, take um, this product or send this product to, to mills, to people who have these huge machines, you know, enormous stones um, and are, are really giving their whole lives to, to building back an infrastructure that has been lost. And they look at the product coming out and it's just, it's, they're just amazed. They're going, wow, we can't get flour this fine out of our mill. We have to sift it a bunch to get it this fine, which we don't want to do because then it loses that goodness. Um, or they say there's a lot of things that, you know, quantities need to be milled that are too small to make it sense to set up our big mills. But this is perfect and it makes it possible um, for us to then deliver small quantities too. So what, what, this is a home mill. I mean, it's designed for home use, the Mach Mill 100, Mach Mill 200. But even in, um, you know, small industrial settings like that, there's a big interest in them because it is really um, a step forward in, in, in stone milling. And when you, when you look at mills for homes, you, you ought to ask one question, is it a stone mill or is it some other kind of mill? Because there's steel burr mills and there are impact mills. That's the kind that you can't look inside. Mm -hmm. um, and they're different. And, some, and, and mock mill is not uh, categorically less expensive than uh, burr mills, steel burr mills or, or or impact mills may be. But then you're comparing apples to oranges because this is a miller's mill. In fact, what happens if you buy this, you start to use it, it's very, very easy to use. You plug it in and you're making flour in two minutes. Um, but on the other hand, as you mentioned, you can get into it and start learning how to use this tool and all of a sudden you're a miller. You're an honest to goodness miller. And I would put forward that you're not a miller if you're working with, a, uh, uh, with an impact mill that's got a closed chamber in five or six settings uh, and that's it. Uh, that's not to say a mill like that won't make flour that you can use well, and it makes maybe flour faster than the mock mill makes it. But it, but it's 
in my view, I think it's easy to defend. It's easy, uh, an easily defendable statement to say that's in no way nearly as versatile a tool um, and as professional a tool uh, as, as, as what we're proposing. We're so hyperactive right now with all the different things we're doing um, because this message is new. And, and really the fact is that five generations ago, our, our ancestors delegated something um, to industry that we firmly believe should never have been delegated to industry. And we're actually as a tiny little you know, company um, working hard to figure out how we can join in with all the people who are trying to get that reversed because there, there are people like Jade who are out there. Jade brought einkorn back from Europe and einkorn is, you know, it's a magic word. All the bakers want to have it, but he's been really one of the few key figures in getting that grain reintroduced to our country. But there's many, many more. I mentioned the Kamut people. There are the Teft people. Um, there's the Teft program going on in California. There's the California grains campaign. There are, uh, in, in Washington state, there's a lot going on in Oregon. In fact, every state seems to have a grain revival program. So we're, we're working hard um, to, to reach out to all those and to say, how can, how can building the home milling infrastructure be of help to these programs that are, that are, gosh, they want to save our country. You know? And, um, and they say it can really help a lot because our products then become available to people uh, whereas for us to get them available through the traditional channels is just going to take too long. We'll never get started. And I think that there's so much of the movement right now, especially with, you know, home canning and just doing a lot of these things at home that have been commercialized. And so we're in danger of these skill sets truly being lost because in main society, mainstream society, a lot of them have been lost. I mean, you've got generations that um, that don't know how to do it. Their mom didn't do it. Maybe grandma or great grandma did it. But in just a couple of generations, it's been lost. And they're, so they're looking for people to teach them because they don't know within their own realm, you know, of, of people that are close to them and knowing it. And, and I look at this as really the same thing. And so you've got this movement and it, it and it's encompassing all of this, it's, you know, the grinding your own flour, growing your own food, you know, the farm to table, and then just taking it that much step further if you're going to be growing it yourself, or that you can get it from a local, like you said, a local granary, these people who are bringing back all of these things instead of just, you know, the, the top, you know, five flowers or five grains or, you know, strains of different things. We're bringing in so much more diversity and history, and we're bringing it back. We really are preserving something that is in danger of being lost. And I think it's incredible to be a part of that movement on so many different fronts, but it right in here with this one too, with, with your grains and milling. Well, I'm, I, I'm, I feel really privileged to get to, um, to share this time this morning and a bit our story with, with your listeners, because they're the people who have recognized that um, there's all kinds of stuff that's been automated to our detriment. And, we've got to go back and say, well, you know, automation is fine and good, but what should we better do ourselves? And I think at the level of food, the answer is, well, frankly, just about everything. And so what we hope to offer is the means um, to do some really important food reduction just in time, the way it needs to be done with incredibly highly professional quality um, that preserves all the goodness of the food. It's food the way nature intended it to be. I 
I, my interpretation is that that's what the homesteading movement is about. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we, we hope that our offering will be seen as a measure of support for that movement. Um, we absolutely welcome um, anybody in that movement to take a look at our website. I mean, see how we live over here um, and, and, and what we're about as a company and, and give us feedback. Uh, is this important what we're doing? How can we pass the message better if you think it is? Um, uh, what kind of things can we be doing better? We'd love to hear that. We'd love to be part, uh, part of that homesteading movement. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Paul. I, I learned quite a bit today, and I thought that I had a good grasp <laughs> on grain milling and all the things that you could do with milling at home. But I've really learned a lot, and I really have enjoyed uh, getting to, to share this message with you, and I've learned things to do. And now I'm inspired, and I want to go and get some, some different types of millet to start incorporating into my, to my flowers and bread. So thank you so much for, first off, for you guys, you know, getting this mill designed and to putting it out and to taking a part of this movement. And thank you for spending the time here with us today. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. It's been a huge pleasure for me, Melissa. Thank you for inviting me. Again, you can get a full transcript of the show and all of the show notes with links at melissaknorris.com slash podcast. And this is episode number 120.